This is Zion Hebrew Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner. It is entitled Abraham, Our Connection. Uh, feel free to check us out on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. Uh, you can find archived Shabbat messages there, as well as blog posts by my dad. He puts those out weekly, uh, and uh, you can subscribe to those in the little email subscribe box. You can also find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we post things weekly, sometimes daily. Uh, and you can also find, uh, or you can subscribe to our Shabbat messages wherever you get your podcasts, uh, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, Stitcher, whatever. And uh, also the music on our podcast is by my buddy Evan Shaw. You can check him out at evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. All right, good morning. So um, today, actually, uh, after le- uh, the last time I preached two weeks ago, we got in the car and, and you know, I always ask what she saw. She said, you never did read the chapter in Galatians 3. I never read Galatians 3 and it never even dawned on me. It's like, oh, that's right. I never got there. So we're going to, I hope, get to do that today. Um, however, Luke's message last week was a further eye-opener to me in relation to the importance of Abraham. And, and it's kind of like, uh, this probably happened to you, you get a new car or a car that's new to you, and you never noticed how many there are on the road until you have one. You know, that happened with us or me when we got the Volkswagen, you know, and the Jetta wagon, and then it's like all of a sudden they're everywhere. How did I miss them? And that's kind of how I feel about Abraham. He's like everywhere. How did I miss him? And I don't mean miss him in relation to who he is and what he is, but the absolute importance of Abraham. And so I've entitled this, uh, Abraham is our connection. Or Abraham, and originally I was going to say everything is, Abraham is everything, and he is. But Abraham is our connection, and I, I, I hope to try to explain that a little bit further. And that thought is not original to me, where Abraham is our connection. I was listening to a podcast that Luke uh, had me listen to by Yoel Halevi. Yoel Halevi. Yoel Halevi. He's lost. Hebrew and Israel. Hebrew and Israel. He's lost, unsaved, but a nice guy and very knowledgeable about the scriptures, and he happened to mention in that, and I forget why now, but he was talking, oh, I know, because he's doing the feasts and the festivals, and how all the feasts and festivals are tied to the land, and how really, you know, they're meant to be celebrated in the land, not in the diaspora where we are, so we're making do. He's in Israel. Um, But he said that Abraham, now he's speaking as a Jew, but for us, as I get into this, Abraham is our connection to the land. 
And it just, you know, it's nothing new in that, but it just really hit me. Why is there the land? Well, God promised it to Abraham. Abraham, this Gentile coming from Ur to Chaldees, treks all the way down to this land that God promised to give to him and his seed. And as Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, not to seeds as many, but to seed, it pointed to Messiah. So the land is technically the birthright of those who have been born again, who are of the seed of Abraham, which is faith, which all pointed to Yeshua. Paul tells us in Galatians that in Abraham, the gospel or the good news was preached. And so Abraham's our connection to everything. Abraham's our connection to the land. Abraham's our connection to faith. He's our connection to salvation. He's every, everything stems from him. He's the, what, what do you call it, Luke, when, when a stream starts? The wellspring or, you know, the river comes from something underneath. He's a wellspring. Is that what it is? Yeah, he's, he's that source from which the mighty Mississippi starts from way up there. And as we lived in New Orleans, it becomes this gushing thing that starts out nice and pure and clean. By the time it gets to New Orleans, it is just a mess. <laughs> you know, it's just, but anyway. I am getting off track already. So Abraham is everything. And he's our connection to the land. He's, con he's the connection to faith. Abraham is key to everything. And you see that in the scriptures. And so I want to draw our attention to just a few of these passages. Make it to Galatians 3. I want to read it, comment, and I don't know how I'm going to get through it. Because I have two sides of my little card here, which you should be thankful I only have, but then Judy says, well, when you don't have much to say, then you just end up blabbing more and more. I forget exactly how she said it this morning. She's been full of compliments this morning, you know. You're beginning to see the woman I really live with, you know. So. <laughs> All right, so let's pray, and then we're going to get into uh, this, this connection. I just want you to start connecting a few dots throughout, so let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be here I just have to say, Father, I love when I sit and we sing the songs, and for some reason it just takes me out of everything that I'm surrounded in this world. And for a brief moment in time through the singing, and, and then now and the time we're here, it's just like a little bubble from everything. And, and I love how it's, for me anyway, a reset. It kind of connects me once again to everything. And we sing these songs about... Yeshua and Jerusalem and your word, and it's a blessing. So I ask as we look at your word this morning that you will bless. Use me, please. I'm, I'm, I know I'm a, just a, a, a cracked pot, uh, uh, just a clay vessel, um, and, and I acknowledge that. But use me, please, to somehow bring forth the truth of your word in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, so let's start. Go back to Matthew chapter 3. So this, ha this hit me back when we were in, in Arizona still and just really getting into this Messianic thing and reading through the Gospels. And a verse, you know, I mean, so at that time, what, that was eight, ten years ago, so I've been saved 30-something years. And, you know, I love how, for me anyway, the Word of God just still keeps popping up and popping out at me. And so I, I was reading in Matthew, and so uh, verse one of chapter three in Matthew, I don't know if I told you that, Matthew three, verse one, we're not going to read the whole thing, but just to give you the context, 
of where I want to go with this. All right, so in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at heaven. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went, out to uh, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, Ah, <laughs> oh, this is so good, I wish we could have been there. You know, everybody's jaws would have just dropped. <sighs> Eyeballs would have gone huge. He's taking on the power establishment, the religious world of his time, and he says, oh, am I glad to see you guys. Thank you for acknowledging what I'm doing. Your support is wonderful. Oh, generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath of God. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. And here it is. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now that is so powerful. Why? Because he is saying it's not physical heritage. It's not by means of the blood that runs through your veins. Stones have no blood. But yet God can bring forth children to Abraham from stones. This was such a smack upside the head because to them heritage, blood, status, connections, genealogy is everything. But of course John knew the scriptures, so he says, listen, you have to get your thinking off of physical heritages through the Messiah and his work that he will do. All right, so that's one. Now go to John chapter 8. This, this Luke's message last night, if, uh, last week, I don't know if it's up yet, but when it gets up, it, you ought to listen to it. It was very, very good and it spurred my thinking on uh, in, in ways that never have before, and I'll just share a few of these things. But the backdrop of this leading into it is the story of the, um, where am I here? And the woman caught in adultery. I always mess it up with the woman at the well. You know, this is a woman caught in adultery, supposedly. Uh, you know, it may have been a setup, and I don't want to go through all that. But it's important. So Yeshua deals with this. And <clears throat> basically, let me say this before I forget and don't think of it. All right. So anyway, so he, he, he does verses 1 through 11. Let's just say it that way, right? And they bring her to condemn her. He writes on the ground, whatever he wrote, Luke had a few good ideas on, <coughs> on that. And um, eventually they start going away from the oldest to the youngest because there was no accusation, but they're trying to get Yeshua caught between a rock and a hard place. How is he going to deal with this? She's been caught in the very act. The law says she should be stoned. You know, but Politically, I don't know if they could have gotten away with that, but that's, they wanted him to say, she's guilty, she's guilty. But, oh, the beauty of this is so impactful. He, no, the Torah, he's, you have to remember, he's the Torah made flesh living right there. 
He knows what the Torah says. He knows what should be done, how it should be done, and why it can't be done right then and there. Right? You can't. You need to be witnesses. Brought before a Sanhedrin, we'll call it, a, a ruling body. You know, so he's just, this is so beautiful. And so you, you get from there, then you wiggle through all of it, and then you get to verse 31 that says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, who comes up in the midst of their defense? They answered, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? And then, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can if you want afterwards. But he just blows them apart because it's not Abraham's physical genealogy that you're connected to. It's not that. And he's trying to get them to see that. And so he's trying, he gets them to see some of this, I don't know how much is connected, by the woman caught in adultery. We've been taught in Christianity that Yeshua came to do away with the Torah, right? It's done away with. But here in John 8, he uses the Torah to save somebody's life. We've been taught how bad the Torah is. This is oppressive. It's bad. I got to thinking about this after Luke's message and, and while he was preaching it. I know at least one person that is so glad that Jesus didn't come to do away with the Torah. The lady caught in adultery. She is living because the Torah did not do away with himself. The Torah made flesh, used himself to save this woman's life. Now, I'm sure she didn't think about it from that perspective, but we need to. Because we get bombarded with, oh, the, the Torah is for those bad Jews. It was a punishment. It's oppressive. We can't go back under the law. The law is just going to stifle you. The law saved this woman's life. And that's what God meant it to do. It brings life, blessing, or it brings death, cursing. It's always been that way. Yeah, you don't like the law if, you don't, if, if, if you're not doing what God says. But, and that was the marvel of coming back into this messianic thing. All of a sudden, this heavy weight that we were told was so heavy, and I preached for years, became a, sort of a delight. There was freedom in it. You actually find, and I find this, it, with rearing kids, controlling the school bus of kids, they like to know what the boundaries are. And they will push and push and push and push and push, until, and they're screaming out, Mom, Dad, Mr. Bus Driver, what are your boundaries? They said several times in the bus this year that I have, and they said again the other day, we've already gotten two bus drivers fired. Let's not get tipped. Because I told my name's Tip or Tippy. Let's not get tipped fired, which is not going to happen. But they, they, and I'm tough. I've already had one kid kicked off the bus for a few days. And, and, but I'm also fair, and I'm loving. And they sense that. And the one girl that says, yeah, we've gotten two bus drivers kicked off the bus before. She said, going off the bus one day, Tippy, you're my favorite bus driver. Well, I'm tough, but I'm loving. They like the boundaries, and so do we. And in this instance, the boundary saved a woman's life. I, I just think, to me, that's just fascinating. And then he hits them with this thing about Abraham, and, and he just lets them have it. it. It's just beautiful. You know, he goes on and says, 
they answered and said unto him, Abraham 39, Abraham's our father. Yeshua said unto him, if you're Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. And he just blows them out of the water. And, and basically, here's what happens. They claim two things, both of which Yeshua demolishes. One, they claim to be the children of Abraham. He demolishes that in verse 33. They answered and said, we be Abraham's seed, and how sayest so we be made free? Then he goes on to say, this is why you're not. And so he demolishes that argument. The second argument is that uh, they are the children of God, and he demolishes that. Verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication, kind of like the Gentiles. We have one father. Yeshua said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. And he just goes on and says, God's not your father. <laughs> you're, you're not the true seed of Abraham and God's not your father. It's, it's great if you can start putting these pieces together, what he's actually doing. You know, if, if, I think sometimes if we could see it visually being played out and lived out, we would make more to connection. And if we lived in this time, we know why John the Baptist said, hey, don't, hey, guys, stones, boof, children of Abraham. And they knew exactly. We don't, we don't catch the connection. All right, I got to move on here. We're not going to spend any time much with this, but turn up to Romans 3. I got to get to Galatians. But I want you to start to see how this, how this, Abraham connection kind of goes from the beginning and keeps working its way through. So in Romans 3, really starting at, um, I have verse 28, you know, it says, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, so the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, we establish a law. Then what do we hit with the next chapter, first verse? What shall we say then, Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? And then you work your way through chapter four and you get drawn right back to Abraham as the foundational figure for what faith really is and what saving faith is all about. And it's just so beautiful. Like Paul brings Abraham into the picture and we see it in Galatians when we get there. It's just like poof, out of nowhere. Where's this come from? And, and he sets up the discussion for chapter four as we have it based on 28 through 31. That you're not justified by the law, you're justified by faith and Abraham's the proof of it because he was a Gentile saved by faith before the Torah was ever codified with the people coming out of Egypt. Beautiful, it's absolutely beautiful. And, and you know, Joel, Joel Halevi, he gets it and he's lost. God's people, Christianity, doesn't get it. And this is why Abraham's so important to show us that the law, the Torah has not been done away with. The Torah, when we get to Galatians, we're told was added to the promise that God gave to Abraham. And it was given for a specific purpose and for a specific reason. All right, we're getting there. Uh, oh, there's another one up in Romans 9, and we'll, we'll read this, these, Romans 9, verses 6 through 8. 
So he's, he's talking about uh, Israel. So verse 6, we'll just pick up 9-6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are Israel. I don't know if you read my blog, but this is the stuff Paul can do that is just so mind-blowing. The wisdom and insight that he has to say. Things like this, not all Israel is Israel. I mean, we have to try to imagine the impact that would have. Not all Israel is Israel. You try telling a Jew that, somebody who's a Jew. Hey, yeah, oh, you're Jewish? Yeah, you're, oh, you're, you're part of Israel? Oh, yeah, no, you're not. All Israel's not Israel. You know, I told you my trying to tell my friend at work that Abraham was a Gentile. It was almost fighting words. The look on his face is like, I, you know, rah. I said, no, <laughs> you know. So not all Israel is Israel. Anyway, seven. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Oh, what's he saying? That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is a word of promise. And then it goes on from there. But see, that idea of the promise, it's the Abrahamic promise. That righteousness, justification, faith, connection to the land, everything starts at that basic concept and principle that God settled once and for all in and through Abraham. Ah, this is so good. All right, now that gets us up to Galatians 3. So let's go there. So what am I saying? I'm saying Abraham is everything. And we need to start having our spiritual antennae up in the scriptures because he's, he's the fountain, the wellspring, everything. He's everything. You know, I mean, of course, not above Yeshua. Oh, I I, it's just so good. All right, now. I told you this before in Galatians chapter 3. Abraham is mentioned eight times in chapter 3. Torm, just put the things away. Thank you. Abraham is mentioned eight times in chapter 3 and one time in chapter 4. Faith in chapter 3 is mentioned 14 times. These, these are key words I told you about before. Um, promise or promises is mentioned 8 times in chapter 3 and 2 times in 4. So you have these key words, Abraham 8 times, faith 14 times, promises 8 times. Also, what's interesting, spirit Spirit is not mentioned until chapter 3, verse 2, and then it's mentioned several times from then on to, uh, through 6.18. So from 3.2 to 6.18, spirit or spiritual is mentioned 17 times. 
So it's like until he gets to chapter 3, the Spirit's not really involved in what he's been trying to say has been going on. Then when he's ready to just sort of drop the hammer, all of a sudden he draws that line in the sand and says, you Judaizers, the antagonists, those that are now going up against me, you are of the flesh. How do I know that? Then he says, if you were of the spirit, this is what would categorize you. So you have these four words that are key words that once we understand the dynamic, how many times Abraham is referred to, Jesse pops up in chapter 3, once in chapter 4, and gone for 5 and 6. You have faith mentioned 14 times, you have promises 8 times, and the Spirit 17 times from chapter 3 on. This is so cool. Now, what I'm trying to do in part is excite you for your own Bible reading, but that assumes you read your own Bible and want to read a Bible. But it's, it's not just the surfacey stuff that we've um, uh, so conveniently allowed ourselves to settle into because we think we know so much. And we do, thankfully. But this is a spiritual book discerned by the Spirit of God. And I'm convinced that God's going to keep showing us more and more of what's already been there the longer and more desire we have to live with him. So, all right, so that's chapter three, the key words. Um, so he, he's everything. Abraham is everything, 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 everything. Now, let's read chapter three, and um, I'll probably just say some comments and, and try to be done. Going 24 minutes so far, and so I'm really working hard to just not overdo this. All right, now... Remember, you have an antagonist, a main antagonist. It's the Judaizers. It could have been just one person or it could have been a few people because of the way Paul says, I just wish that person, you know, you just cut him off, castrate him and wish that, he, you know, he, he's deserving of anathema, being totally, eternally condemned. And I told you what, I won't say it again, what Paul in, the, in everyday parlance was really saying, what they were and where they should be going. Um, and so you, you have an antagonist. These Galatians were people that Paul poured his heart, soul, and life into. They loved him. He loved them. He came to them, in a sense, in weakness, and they, they weren't put off by whatever he was uh, suffering, whether it was a physical ailment where he was sick or a physical something. Some commentators believe Paul wasn't even planning to go here at this time, but because of an illness or something that happened to him, he ended up being here. Of course, in the providence of God, it's not an accident. But they loved him, and he says, man, you loved me. You would have given me your eyes. Have I become your enemy now because I tell you the truth? I mean, they, they're being pulled away. These people that Paul poured his life into and, and thought were saved, some got saved. He has, he's now gone, and then he gets these reports and saying, it's just falling apart. And Paul is so burdened by this. So it brings him now to chapter 3 where he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. In other words, the gospel was so clear to them, they could visualize it, they could actually see it. It's a word for a placard or a billboard. It was so big in your understanding and spiritual grasp, you grasped it. How do you not remember what you saw and what you experienced? I mean, I remember the day I, I got saved and the, 
the mental imagery that came to my mind. It was like, it was so clear, my need and what Yeshua did for me, Christ on the cross and dying for me. I I can't, for me, I can't can't walk away from that. Ever. It wasn't something I actually saw, but I saw what I saw somehow. And Paul's saying, you didn't actually see it, but you saw it so clearly. Who has, and now, bewitched brings in this idea of a spiritually demonic force at work here. And then it's interesting that starting at verse 2 of chapter 3 to the end, he focuses in on the work of the Holy Spirit, the true work of the Spirit. So all the way up to chapter 3, he he drops the bomb with verse 1, you have been bewitched. It's a word for sorcery. It's a word that's used for casting a spell on somebody. It's a very, very powerful word. Uh, my note says, foolish does not denote natural stupidity, but failure to use moral and spiritual discernment. Bewitched means to cast an evil spell on someone. Paul is thus saying that the only way to account for their theological deception is by malicious magic. There's a satanic spirit going on. Paul hits him with that. He's saying these people, they're demonic. They're controlled by evil spirits. How could you allow that to happen if you have, verse 2 on, the Spirit of God within you? All right, so verse 2. Um, this only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith. So he's saying to them, have you received the Spirit of God or not? And this is a question I put forth to you and anybody who ever happens to ever listen to this. Do you know that you have the Spirit of God living and residing within you? I mean, he's asking the Galatians this. This only would I learn from you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, we get hung up on works of faith, hearing uh, uh, works of law, hearing of faith. I'm asking, do you know you have the Holy Spirit within you? This was vitally important to me after my profession of faith. I needed to know tangibly somehow from the word of God that I was saved and I was working at Pratt Whitney at that time, second shift in training. It was during the lunchtime, which was 4, 4.30 in the afternoon or whatever it was. I was sitting outside. I had my little New Testament and reading through Romans. And I came to verse 18, uh, Romans 8, verse 16. It says, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And it was like, poof, another, yes. That explained what happened on the inside. I have a scripture to go with it. The Spirit itself, Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit within that you're God's child. And from that day on, not that I doubted it, but from that day on I knew. That's why I have such a hard time with people talking about you can lose your salvation. It's the stupidest thing ever. Ephesians tells us we're already seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We're, we're already, we're clothed, we're placed in Him. We're with Him for all eternity already. If, if, if you're a child of God and you were born of God, you can't undo that. Otherwise, God's a crappy father. As much as my kids at times might not want to claim me, sorry, you're mine. <laughs> like it or not, you can't undo that. You can't undo that. So do you have the Spirit of God? 
You have to answer that question for yourself. All right, verse 3. Uh, are ye so foolish? Again, he hits them with this idea of foolish in verse 1. Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He, therefore, that ministers to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doth he by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's talking about God. And he's forcing them to kind of think through everything right now. They, they have to think. So then, verse 6, even as Abraham, so let's read verse 5 and then get into verse 6. He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It's just like out of the thin air, he throws in and brings in Abraham. He's not been mentioned at all. You have no clue that Abraham's even going to be talked about. And he's laid all this groundwork, and then he just comes to where he is going to bring his point to uh, the climax. Whoosh, Abraham, and it's Abraham. So is God doing it by the works of the law or by flesh? Even as Abraham believed God. So let's continue reading. Verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now, before I forget, um, well, no, I'll, I'll talk about that a few verses now when I get to verse 19. So let's just keep going. Uh, 10. For as many as are, uh, 9, sorry. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse of the law. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Uh, okay, verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Now, Sometimes verse 12 is taken as a negative when it says the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. And sometimes Christian commentators and pastors will say that, see, this shows that the law means that you're bound up in the law and it has a negative connotation with it. But I don't think that's what the point is in this. I think the point is those that are rightly related by faith to the Torah, the ones that observe it, are the ones that live in them. They actually find life. There's actual life in obedience. So I think it's a positive, not a negative. Obedience brings blessing. Even as a general principle, like disobedience 
brings curses. Now, I think America is a great example of this general principle. Up until kind of my generation, and I'm not trying to gloss over all the hidden underbelly of our country, but our, our country pretty much, I think, was blessed of God. I, I don't know how to deny that. I don't think I can. I think God uniquely blessed America because America was uniquely affirming of God and his sovereignty and, and his rulership over his creation. And so our founding fathers, though not walking on water and not all saved, there was this general principle of in God we trust, though it didn't come necessarily from them at the time, but that's basically what they said. Sometimes they call it providence, this general term. But America has been blessed of God, but not any longer. I believe we're under the cursings of God now. Because we were a bastion that held up biblical truth. Divorce was nearly unheard of in our country when I was growing up. Divorce was barely heard of in, in Christianity. My alma mater, where I was there, uh, there at the time, it was, I don't know if it was 50 years old or 75, whatever it was, celebrated one of those anniversaries. Never in the thousands that have graduated had any one of their students ever been divorced. Not the case anymore in Christianity. Not the case uh, anymore from our illustrious Christian colleges and graduates. Um, it's, it's a disaster. And, and even in the state I grew up, if you got divorced, you had to wait two full years before you could get remarried. During the era I grew up, many states, it was illegal for women, I don't know if this is the right way to do it, it was illegal to, uh, for women to work if they had children at home. Several states, it was against the law for a mother to work. She was to stay at home. It's amazing, amazing. Abortion! Though I'm sure it always, to some degree, went on. And it all stems from little by little, we cast God out. We don't want his word. And, and we forget that the blessings come from the confines and the construct of God's whole world. Genesis to Revelation. The old commentators did not stumble over the law nearly as much as new Christian commentators do in Christianity since Westcott and Horton, the, the, the early 1900s. You read the old writers, they don't nearly stumble like we do all over this. So, this isn't a negative in verse 12. The law is not of faith. Yeah, it does not justify. That's all that Paul is saying. When it says the Torah is not of faith, it's not saying, see, it's just only of works. No, the law, the Torah is, is, is not of faith, meaning for justification. And we have to get that. That's why he's railing on the Judaizers, because they're saying you need to get circumcised, you need to obey the law, if you're going to be considered God's children. And so the Torah used negatively is a negative. There's nothing about faith involved in it because it has been turned upside down to be the system of works. But then it counteracts it in the second part, but the man that does them shall live in them. It's in that one sentence, it's the beauty of Paul, there's the curses and the blessings. 
And, and if you just read commentators or go to Christian churches, it's, a lot of it's just curses. But that same set of words brings life or brings death. Oh, that's beautiful. All right, so verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. This is what Paul is needing to get across to the Galatians. How are Gentiles going to get saved if it's by the works of the law? People don't even have that tangible written thing. 15, brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuls it or adds thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Messiah. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, I told you before, new translations, none of them have that. Well, I can't say none, sorry, but most don't. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Messiah, the Torah, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. What promise? The promise made to Abraham. What promise? That all people, Jew, Gentile, whoever you want to put a label on, they're saved by faith. And that's the only way they're going to be saved by faith. So, verse 18, for if the inheritance be of the law, it's no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So Paul, and I'll probably just end here because I'm going on. We'll probably read, but this, I'm going to, the bulk of what I'm going to say is verse 19. So Paul says, and I told you before, this is a question we all have to answer and have an answer for. Not just in our head or when we talk amongst ourselves, but when we are confronted by our loved ones, other Christians, other people who are, who are unsaved, but wonder why we wear funny, funny strings and do the Jewish thing. Are you back under the law? Are you Jewish? Why are you doing these things? So Paul says, wherefore then serves the Torah? What's the point of the Torah? Answer, it was added because of transgressions till the seed, Messiah, should come to whom the promise was made. And I'm not going to get into the rest of why it says all this. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. That I, it would take me for a lot longer. It's easy to explain, but I don't want to get going because I'm bad enough on rabbit trails as it is. All right, verse 19. Why was the Torah added? And what was it added to? Oh, that's a great question, Paul. Thank you for asking it. It made me have to come up with answers that I could verbalize. So what's verse 19 saying? What's it asking? What's it telling us? It's a mystery. It's a puzzle. It's, it's one of those things my, my youngest son likes to do, those metal things that are all entwined, and somehow you can get them all apart. Right? We give those things to Daniel. Right? It's one of those things. It's, a, it's that cube that you've got to go 14,000 times to get done. Rubik's Cube? This is a, it's just, I want you to see the majesty and the beauty of what Paul does in this book. And, and as I wrote my blog, especially Galatians 4, with the, the, the connection between Hagar and Sarah. 
That's amazing. But you don't, listen, I have read this time in Galatians. I've been in it at least a month. And you know why we don't get it? Because we just read it. And we make it through the Bible. And we don't stop and meditate and think and ponder. So, anyway. So, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added. Added to what? Added to the Abrahamic promise. Didn't do away with it. Didn't replace it. Why was it added? Because of transgressions. Well, what in the world does that mean? There's all kinds of answers. I'm going to give you mine. I already did. The children of Israel lived in Egypt. They lived under a set of law. God came and ransomed them, rescued them, delivered them, brought them out to Mount Sinai, to where now they're going to become a peculiar people, a nation unto God, a body together as one that we're going to be under his rule, his authority, his leadership. Well, how are they going to function? By the same laws they did in Egypt? No. God has to give them their own set of Torah rules, principles to live by. Why? Because of transgression. What could that mean? It can mean a gazillion things, read about it, do whatever you want, come up with your own answers. Mine is... Now, as a people group, Christianity would have us believe because we love everything's fine and you don't need anything else. And, and there is a note to that. Um, oh, boy, I can't forget this. But basically, anyway, I'm getting off. There's a people group. If they operated according to Christianity where all you need is love, they would have been fine. You don't need rules. And I'll read you this note, which you, you think what I may be saying, if you're following me at all. Um, a great verse. Galatians 5.18, but if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Here's a, here's a note. True or false? True or false? Now, it's your question. It's not my question. It's not even a question. True, is this statement true or false? The Christian does not need the restraints of the law because his moral life is governed by the Spirit. Again, the Christian does not need the restraints of the law because his moral life is governed by the Spirit. True or false? It's the stupidest thing I've ever read. It's the stupidest thing I ever read. Why? He just keep going on. He talks about the works of the flesh and how the Spirit is going to work in us to Overcome those and not submit to them. Why oh, bother? And he and <laughs> it goes back to the Torah. It's all Torah based. We're told in First John, which I'm not even going to get to, that trans, uh, sin is the transgression of the law. Well, how come nobody even talks about that verse? You can't. You can't talk about that verse. What law? <laughs> oh, it is so good. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. And you end up with stupid, 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 stupid statements like that. If you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit, have you sinned? I mean, if all you need is the internal working of the Spirit to pop up and somehow pull back the reins and it says, no, 
we could just close up shop and go home. <laughs> this doesn't work that way. And Paul's point in all his writings is the Torah used improperly just brings destruction, but you need the confines of the Torah because that's how God meant us to live. Hence, the law was added because of transgression. The people of Israel are human people, though they've been saved and delivered. Not all are saved that come with them. There's, there's the mixture amongst them, but they're a body of saved, we'll call people, just to make it simple. Well, they need, as a body, as a people, a body of rules. Why? Because they're going to sin. They're going to sin. They're going to transgress. They're going to do things they're not supposed to do. Hence the restraints that we need, and God loves us enough to have written it down and codified for us and says, here, you want to live? You want my blessings? It's not really hard. Do these things. And I'm going to make it as easy as I can for you. I took you out. I'm going to give you your own land. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to give you everything you need. You're going to move into this land ready-made. Just move in. The house is completely furnished. Trees are going, growing, everything. Man, it's all right there. Now, to continue this, here is, because I know you're going to transgress. It's so good if you get to the end of Deuteronomy. The, the Moses says, I know as soon as I die, you're going to screw up. And this is why I'm reiterating the whole commandment, the thing all over again. So, the law was added to the promise for a period of time because when Yeshua came, what would happen? Israel would be dispersed. We would be out in the land. Outside of the land, you cannot do the Torah as God meant it to be done. So the law was added to the promise because of transgressions, the people of God living in the land under its control, till the seed should come, Yeshua, to whom the promise was made, because after he died, and about 40 years after his death, you're going to be out there. You're going to be out there. You're going to be out there. No temple, no priesthood, no way to fulfill it all. I don't know if Luke agrees with this, because I kind of get a, a weird look at times with him. And it sounds so Christian, but Christ, Yeshua, did come, and he, he did fulfill the types, as I understand it, and trying to get it across. The truth is, living outside the land and not being able to go to the temple and offer sacrifices and do all that stuff. We're an unclean people. We touch death. None of our women have ever gone up to offer an offering after the menstrual period and given birth. I mean, we, we are just, by virtue of being outside the land with no temple, am I, am I right? No priesthood, no functioning sovereign, no Torah that is calling all the shots. <laughs> Without that, gosh, I got to keep myself crying because I hate if you think about it. I'm so sick of us being out in the diaspora and it's my fault. It's much as yours because we're not, we're not dissatisfied with our own uncleanness and we don't even see and realize how unclean we are. Thankfully, somehow we're wrapped in the righteousness of Yeshua and we are not just blown to smithereens by God. And so it was all a beautiful reality, taken out of the land, body of laws, all pointed to Messiah who came. He came, fulfilled, are you, do you agree with this? Fulfilled these types and everything. 
and, and a body of people now, just like in Israel, were set apart for God. Now, oh, so beautiful folks, a whole people are set apart again unto Yeshua, who was the fulfillment of all of this. Till the seed should come. Why? He loved us so much, and he even wept over Jerusalem, because it's all going to come crumbling down again. And we'll be that way until Yeshua comes. And so he gave us a format to follow the best we can. That's why I think so many things that God has told us to do, like the Sabbath, and how to carry out, even, and even Yoel talked about this. There's, God's not specific, right? He, he meant God's not specific. And it blows these people, these Jewish people's minds, because to them, though everything is cyclical and is, but there's not specific, specificity. <laughs> that word, specificity. What's the word I'm trying to say? specificity to it why because God's people have lived outside the land most of the time and 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 if God gave us specificity and he expected us to be able to do it outside the land for the last 2,000 years we would be driving ourselves nuts and he would be a horrible task master and the law would be a burden to us but it's not and we only stand. Why? We have been wrapped and clothed in the righteousness of Yeshua. And Abraham's the picture of all of that. <laughs> and that's why Gentiles can even get saved. And the truth of the matter is, I don't know, I could be wrong in this, I don't think you could even point out to me, I would love for somebody to be able to point out to me a pure-blooded Jew. There's no such thing, right? I mean, even Yeshua was not pure-blooded Jew. He's got Gentile blood flowing through his veins. So salvation is by faith. And we stand because of the message, the gospel, the good news that was preached to Abraham before, that in him, his seed, and Isaac is the picture of it, is our salvation, is our life, is everything. And so when Abraham took that knife, whether he brought it up to smash it, or I think he's just getting ready, he pulled it out wherever he had to slice the throat like the lamb would be, God stepped in and said, no, I have provided a sacrifice for you. And God says, I've provided a sacrifice for us, for you in this Yeshua. And so the gospel was preached a long time ago through Abraham, to Abraham. So why is there a Torah? Why the law? It was added, okay, to what? Thanks to Tim Hegg, I finally saw it's a promise, Abraham a covenant. It was added to that. Didn't supersede it. Why, though? Why was it necessary? Because God's people would transgress, and they need a body of laws to live by. Well, how long? Till the seed should come. Well, what does that mean? How? What does that mean? Well, we've lived it out. He comes. He's killed. John the Baptist, who talks about Abraham, saying... You can't, God can raise up children through uh, stones. He, he sees Yeshua walk around, behold the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. Ah, wow, till the seed should come. 
to whom the promise was made. Because one day we're going to be outside the land again. And we can thank our lucky stars <laughs> that we have Abraham. He's everything. Otherwise, we would be under the law. Otherwise, we would be like the Judaizers. Otherwise, we'd be struggling with the modern-day Judaizers, be they in Christianity or in Judaism. But we know how we stand, and it's by faith in Yeshua. Let's pray. So, Lord, I know this is a lot, and even as I'm trying to speak it, I, I see the complexity of it. But on the other hand, it's really simple. But you didn't make it very simple. You have to want some of this stuff. And I believe that's why Yeshua talks so much in parables. Because he just wanted to point out to those that really didn't want to hear him, man, it was going over their head. But for those few that really wanted to hear what he had to say, their spiritual understanding started to be opened. And Father, these are truths. As I've said, you know, Paul, I don't th he was done with messing around. He's seen so much, heard so much was caught up to the third heaven. He knew so much. And I think he had a special insight to realize where not to waste his time and when to waste his time. So I thank you for the Apostle Paul, and I thank you for your unique vessel to lay out such vital, important truths. And I think perhaps the Apostle Paul is going to become more important as we hit the end times, because we as your people are going to have to start coming up with some answers and all this stuff we've been taught in the Christian church and all this, quite frankly, pablum junk we've been given in the Messianic movement is not going to withstand real tests. We need answers for ourselves. We need to ask ourselves some hard questions. I, 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 I wonder how many Messianics, maybe more than I could think, and maybe I'm the dumbest God, but how many Messianics could have a coherent answer as to why was the law added in the first place? What's the point? So anyway, pull it together. Use this, I pray, somehow. But would you please just awaken some sparks within us, even our small people here, to see the need to be in your word. And to, even more than that, to realize the need for your word to just flow through our spiritual veins and our heart, reach into, through our pores and the very depth of us. But it doesn't come from not reading it comes from realizing that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God that proceeds from the mouth of God. In Yeshua's name.